The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to thank members of our armed services who are joining us via the Internet today, and also our country's veterans who are tuning in. Thank you for being with us again. My guest today is the last of an endangered species. Former United States Senator from Wisconsin, Mr. Russ Feingold, will be joining me in just a moment. And and the reason I refer to him as an endangered species is because, as you know, there are very few leaders who are willing to put principles ahead of party today. Mr. Feingold has been critical of the influence super PACs, dark money nonprofits, and large donors have had on shaping public policy, and he applies the same ethical standards to both parties, which makes Feingold one of those dangerous leaders who cannot be persuaded by money, power, fame or promises. And you've heard me say this on this program before, whether you're a Republican, Democrat, or an independent like me, if there's one thing we should all be concerned about, it is that individuals who dare to cross the the aisle, who dare to scrutinize the behaviors of their own party, who understand how to broker compromise for the sake of progress, are systematically being driven out of our nation's capital. And this is something that we should all be concerned about, regardless of party affiliation. Before Mr. Feingold joins us, let me mention that he was born in Jamesville, Wisconsin, one of four children to two working parents. He attended the University of Wisconsin-Madison and the University of Oxford, and he obtained his JD with honors from Harvard Law School. Following law school, Feingold worked for a couple of law firms, and then in 1982, he was elected to the Wisconsin Senate, where he served for 10 years prior to being elected to the United States Senate in 1993. Feingold's record shows that he has been a staunch defender of civil liberties. Uh, He was the only senator to oppose the Patriot Act, and he has consistently been opposed to limiting the Second Amendment. Uh, Though he didn't mind if English was declared a common language, he opposed mandating it. He was only one of 23 senators to vote against authorizing the use of force in Iraq, and he opposed NAFTA against the wishes of his party. Uh, He voted against dismissing the impeachment hearings against Clinton and was one of uh, very few Democrats to confirm John Ashcroft. Mr. Feingold currently teaches at Lawrence and Stanford Universities, and he is the founder of Progressives United, a grassroots organization which is dedicated, among other things, to getting election reform back on track. And we're going to find out a little bit more about that later on in the program. It's my great pleasure to welcome to the program today one of our nation's best examples of leading by example, Mr. Russ Feingold. Thank you for being with us, Mr. Feingold. 
Thank you so much. That was just an awfully nice introduction. It made my day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're making my day. Uh, I have to tell you. the show. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save my best question for last, but uh, I think it's just absolutely unacceptable that you are not in Washington, D.C. right now. So I'll just go on record as saying that I am a big fan, and I'd like to see more Russ Feingold's uh, represent the greater good of the people and, uh, and maybe not uh, work so hard on, on individual private agendas. You know, it, it's been about uh, 40 years since the Watergate scandal, which uh, for those of us who lived through that experience was was a bit of an eye opener. I mean, to that point, uh, many of us believe that there were so many safeguards in place that outside of a couple of bad apples here and there, government corruption was nothing we should worry about. But the bigger Watergate got and the more we learned about the trail of money and the criminal activity, uh, the more we realized that even the White House wasn't immune. So I- I'd like to open the program today by asking you, how did Watergate influence your view of government and the need for oversight? Well, I think your observations are absolutely right. Yeah, that was just a shocker as that thing unfolded. You know, I was an undergraduate at the University of Wisconsin. It was this, as I said, the drip, drip, drip of revelations. And, it, you know, sort of hard to believe at first that the president of the United States and his top advisors could be involved in something as tawdry and corrupt as what was done with regard to Watergate. And then you realized how deep it was. And I think what people forget, uh, which we tried to remind people of recently when Common Cause held the 40th anniversary of Watergate is that this didn't just involve uh, the corruption of certain politicians. This involved a huge corporate contributions that were secretly and illegally being transferred to the committee to reelect the president uh, to in a way that nobody knew anything about that I know of. And uh, of course, it led to not only Watergate, but it led to the passage of our some of our fundamental campaign finance laws. So it is ironic that today, we are in a horrible situation with regard to unlimited contributions because of the Citizens United decision. Uh, and it really harks back to the kinds of things that led to Watergate and the corruption that you talked about. Well, how many times do we have to go through this before we're going to do something about it? I mean, that's four <laughs> decades ago. I, I'm kind of frustrated here. I can't even imagine what it's like right, to well, be you. Well, that's an important question. I think it, it really requires an answer that suggests that Things have been done, and here's what here's what's really sad. We passed the election laws in in the 70s, and you know they weren't certainly weren't working perfectly, but they were not nearly as bad as the situation that we're in now. Then soft money came along, unlimited contributions in the early 1990s to both parties, and that's what John McCain and I worked successfully to get rid of. So we banned unlimited contributions to political parties from corporations and unions. And then in 2006 and 2008, there were elections where that wasn't going on. Uh, people were using the Internet for small contributions. So the fact is, we had made huge improvements in the system, and it was getting better, and it was becoming much more democratic, and the average citizens and students were involved. It's only because the United States Supreme Court, on a 5-4 to four vote, undid that progress that we're in the place where we are. So there has been progress, and we can get this situation under control, put the genie back in the bottle by overturning this really ridiculous Supreme Court decision that almost every leading constitutional scholar says is simply a bad legal decision, not to mention how ridiculous it is to allow corporations and unions to spend their treasuries on elections now. It's drowning out everyone else's voices. So you have a right to feel somewhat frustrated, but there's a real solution there. 
And the building blocks were, were taken care of in recent years so that we can, if we can overturn the decision, get back to a more sane system. Well, well, so let me ask you this. Is the primary problem the volume of money or is it the difficulty in determining the real source of this money or is it something else? I mean, frame it up for us yeah, so that we question. can understand it. Yeah. Is, is it that we can't figure out where it's coming from? That's a big part of it. The, the volume of money could be a problem. People often say, look how much money is being spent. Okay, there can be too much of it. It can be overwhelming, but I don't think that's the main issue. Uh, if a lot of money is raised by small contributions over the Internet where you're not having conversations between politicians and givers that suggest the quid pro quo, quo or corruption, that's a lot better. And that's the situation we were in. What's happening now, though, is you have unlimited amounts of money often undisclosed. So, you know, this is what's different about Citizens United. You, these corporations often don't have to even disclose their contributions because they run them through uh, phony social welfare groups. So I would say the problem has more to do with the lack of knowing where the money's coming from and the corruption that is probably involved and the unlimited amounts of money that are being given as opposed to the question of how much money is being spent. I mean, having a lot of speech, having a lot of ads by different candidates, you know, can be confusing to people, but that's not nearly as serious as a process where both parties are basically bought off and there's real, no, no real difference by the time you get to the, to back to the, to the, uh, after the election, back to making laws. If both parties are raising unlimited funds from BP and Exxon, you're not going to get a change either way. And who wins the election doesn't matter very much. I think that's a, you know, that's a sad state of affairs. As you say, we were on the right track. But to me, yeah, I sort of characterize the, the issue as being one of volume, the amount of money that's coming in, which is completely historically unprecedented, the veracity, that's the speed true. at which it's raised, and the variety. By variety, I mean the different kinds of PACs, the different kinds of dark money, nonprofits. It seems like around every corner, there's a different kind of organization that's raising mm -hmm. this money and, and also uh, being an extension of very influential groups. Now, we have to take a short commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to find out exactly why real election reform is such a tough nut to crack. You're listening to the Costa Report. This Legal Minute is brought to you by Nolan, Hammerley, Etienne, and Haas. Experienced attorneys providing professional legal services to the Central Coast for 85 years. Hello, this is attorney Stephen Wagner with your Legal Minute. Have you ever said to yourself, there ought to be a law for that? Well, often there is. In today's segment, I will address the issue of distracted driving, and here's my opening salvo. Smartphones make dumb drivers. Of course, I'm talking about all those other drivers. The laws vary from state to state, but there is one common thread. These laws were legislatively put on the books because of the outcry of concern over drivers who are texting, talking, emailing, and tweeting. Distracted driving is nothing new. We used to look at the cows and pastures. Now we take photos with our smartphones. In California, there are over 20 million licensed drivers. 20 million. Here's a scary thought. Just think about how many of those 20 million own and use cell or smartphones. I can't possibly cover all the laws in all the states, but I can say that the trend is to prohibit or sharply curtail some uses of smartphones while driving. 
Whether this leads to a new species of liability remains to be seen, but one thing is clear. With each new feature and amazing breakthrough in technology comes a new and tempting distraction. As new laws go into effect, it will be interesting to see how this impacts the law of negligence. I predict that these new laws will expand the application of important negligence concepts such as duty, breach, and causation, thereby creating more liability theories. While we marvel at the great advances in technology and the cool things that our smartphones can do, they just keep on getting smarter. But do we? This is Stephen Wagner, and that's your Legal Minute. Brought to you by Nolan, Hammerley, Etienne, and Haas. Selected in 2013 as one of the top law firms in the United States by Martindale Hubble. Cured of an incurable eye disease in her 20s, Elise Moore is coming to help you discover the power of prayer with free talks entitled Curing the Incurable and the Possibilities of Prayer. A Christian science healer and teacher, Elise will present help and healing with Curing the Incurable Saturday, 4 p.m. at 780 Abrego Street in Monterey and with the Possibilities of Prayer Sunday, 2 p.m. at 22 Wynham Street in Salinas. For more information, call your Christian Science Church in Monterey or Salinas. Hi, this is John from Central Coast Diamond Fusion and Window Cleaning. For nearly a decade, we've been keeping glass and other surfaces looking great, easier to clean, and resistant to damage. Central Coast Diamond Fusion coatings protect shower doors from staining, reduces cleaning time, eliminates the need to use harmful cleaning chemicals, and leaves a diamond-like finish. Our coatings also keep bathroom tiles, kitchen granite countertops, sinks, and toilets looking new and easy to clean. Central Coast Diamond Fusion can also restore most water-damaged shower glass and windows at a fraction of the cost of replacing them, which our own technicians have done at Stanford University the California Academy of Science in San Francisco, and Nike's World Campus. Central Coast Diamond Fusion and Window Cleaning, 831-475-6210 or visit www.diamondfusion.com for more information. Central Coast Diamond Fusion and Window Cleaning, 831-475-6210. No job, too small, free estimates are available. Dave Allen here. Remember this, Sundays, 4 p.m., for an array of different world-acclaimed, eclectic, esoteric conversations and guests. Every Sunday at 4 p.m., right here on AMT KSL, and realize why. I'm not going nowhere. I've got to stay. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former senator and co-author of the McCain-Feingold Act, Mr. Russ Feingold. And before the break, uh, we were making the point that um, the country made a lot of progress on limiting campaign contributions and influencing uh, public policy prior to the Citizens United ruling, uh, something that we're going to talk about a a little bit later in the program again. Um, So my question is this, when we have complex systemic problems like the influence money is having on public policy it often doesn't matter who you plug into a system like that i mean eventually they have to play the game just to stay in the game to have any chance of making change and this seems like something that happened to the obama administration whose um, fundraising efforts during his first term looked substantially different 
than this last election. And, and you know, you've been an equal opportunity critic about the influence that these super PACs and dark money nonprofits have had on government. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the difference between Obama's approach to fundraising during these two campaigns, because I, I think there has been a stark difference. Well, there was. And, and of course, the, the big difference was that the Citizens United decision came down in the middle. And, you know, I was, you know, hoping, frankly, even though I was a co-chair of the president's reelection campaign, I was really hoping that they would stay away from these unlimited contributions and the super PACs. Um, and I got a phone call from the campaign manager saying, well, they decided to go the other way. And, you know, frankly, I was disappointed and I was, I was verbal about it. I was open about it. I said, you know, I said that they were dancing with the devil and not only should Democrats not do it, but that Barack Obama didn't need to do it. I don't think Barack Obama won the election because of money. I think he won the election because he was talking to the working people of this country, and Romney was talking to his uh, his uh, well-to-do interests, who uh, he mocked uh, in in comparison. He mocked the other people of the country as being the forty-seven percent. Um, so I don't think it was necessary. Uh, people would disagree with me on that, but I think it was unfortunate because it took away the ability uh, of the president to talk as strongly as he had in the past about Citizens United. In fact, the president actually called out the Supreme Court at the State of the Union for this decision. That was sort of unprecedented. I've never seen a president specifically saying to members of the Supreme Court in person, you know, you did the wrong thing here. Well, where has that gone? And so right now what we have is a problem is that both parties are feeling that they have to stay within this system, just exactly what you said. They get trapped in this system, and they feel like they can't, uh, as they call it, unilaterally disarm. What I think people don't realize is that the American people are dying for someone to come out and say, you know what, this is corrupt. Uh, we should, these corporations should not be uh, dominating our, our lives, our elections, or some things that are, are supposed to be left to the people. Of course, they're supposed to uh, work, do what they can for their corporations and maximize profit, but there are other parts of our system that are supposed to be for the average citizen and all of us equally. And so this is a serious problem. That's why I created a group called Progressives United. It's an organization that is devoted to pointing out what's happened with Citizens United. It is an equal opportunity critic, as you've suggested, of both parties and people in both parties who are willing to uh, play along with this system. Uh, and the goal is not only to overturn the decision, but to expose, you know, these secret contributions, which you were talking about before the break. Um, you know, again, the problem to me isn't that there are a lot of there's a lot of money in politics. It's the hidden money. It's the large amounts of money, as opposed to a money that might be spent uh, because some a lot of average people give a small amount of money, 10 or $25 to a candidate. That's basically a sign of somebody having real support as opposed to one company or one labor union being able to give $20 million. Uh, this is completely out of control. And one point I've been making, and frankly, I've met with a number of people that have given a lot of money to President Obama's organization or corporate people who are doing this. I'm saying to them, aren't you feeling like you're being victimized here? They are being pressured to give uh, huge contributions in a way that hasn't been allowed since 1907, and it can be kept secret. So this really has a, a, almost a feeling of an organized crime syndicate as opposed to part of our being our political system. Well, even with individuals, you don't know where the individuals got the money. I, I mean, there are plenty of individuals that could take money from other or secret organizations and contribute as an individual, but those individuals no, might be beholding to another organization. I mean, there's layers and layers here. Yeah. When when you have campaign contribution limits in place, which we do still for hard money, you can't funnel money like that. I mean, it's it's a crime. But 
you're right in the in the context of corporate contributions unlimited contributions undisclosed contributions then that can happen and that is extremely disturbing as you say it's very disturbing to me i i'm not you know and and here's the interesting thing i i look over your track record because you know i'm a scientist and i like to look at the empirical facts the fact is is if anybody Right. It should have supported Citizens United. It would have been you. You have been a staunch fighter for civil liberties and free speech and the Second Amendment and right. any any other threat to individual rights. And the fact that you who have this, you know, many decade record would come out and say this is a, a formula for corruption. It can't work any other way uh, to me well, should have really gotten the attention of a lot of folks on the Hill. Well, it did. We we succeeded. We got McCain-Feingold through, and it is still the law of the land. And it was very interesting because, I, as you've suggested, I, I actually was confronted on this by Floyd Abrams, who was the leading First Amendment lawyer in the United States. He he took my deposition for nine hours on the McCain-Feingold bill, and he started it by saying, well, Mr. Feingold, you probably have the best record in the Senate on the First Amendment. Why would you do something like this? And I, I kind of got a kick out of it because I was frankly honored to even be talking to this guy. I said, well, you know, it's been pretty clear for throughout the, our country's history that in addition to free speech, we also believe in how sacred it is that everybody's vote counts and that everybody's vote counts the same. And so that's a value that has to be protected as well. And that's exactly why the United States Supreme Court, in the case of Buckley v. Vallejo in the 1970s, said that there are ex- that basically free speech is protected and that people spending money on politics is protected, but not in two cases when it creates actual corruption or the appearance of corruption. Yes. That has been an exception. And that's an exception that I think is valid because if corruption um, is allowed, if the political process itself that sets up our whole system that allows people to participate in our democracy, if that is corrupted, that's a very different deal. I mean, otherwise, I mean, if, if you can just do this stuff, why can't you just give a bunch of money to a judge when you want them to rule in your favor? I mean, we call it bribery then, right? But why is that illegal? That could be argued to be speech as well, uh, because it's what somebody thinks. Their view is that the judge should should rule with them. But we we have standards for judges, and we should have standards for political campaigns as well. So you can be a passionate believer in the First Amendment and still believe that there ought to be uh, some limits on contributions. So in 1907, the, the, this country said, look, the robber barons are taking over our society, the oil people, the timber people, the railmen. Uh, something has to be done so they don't just dominate the economy. It's not that they already dominate the economy. They were uh, in the process of trying to dominate the democracy. And our nation, and under a Republican president, Teddy Roosevelt said, no, we're not going to do that. And they passed the Tillman Act. And so the, you know, the whole 20th century, the whole time people are talking about free speech and these issues... That was sort of the unquestioned law of the nation, the Tillman Act, until the United States Supreme Court on a five to four vote says, never mind, we're just going to throw away this law that Teddy Roosevelt signed. It's incredible that, that people don't realize that this was the law for over 100 years, that when you buy, go to the gas station, buy a gallon of gas, go to the grocery store, or buy some food, or, or buy some toothpaste at the CVS, that that money for the first time in 100 years can be used on a political campaign. That is a huge change. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, now, we unfortunately, we have to take another break. But when we come back, um, I do want to talk about why the Citizens United ruling was such a setback to democracy as we know it and get a little more into that. You're listening to the Costa Report.
Be part of the conversation and join us on Facebook. Take advantage of special opportunities and interesting insight while sharing your thoughts on the topics discussed on the Costa Report and beyond. Like us at facebook.com forward slash Rebecca D. Costa. That's facebook.com forward slash Rebecca D. Costa. week on Rebecca Costa's Facebook page, she'll be rolling out the Mighty Minute, a chance for you to have 60 seconds all your own to share your thoughts, insights, and ideas on her nationally syndicated radio show, The Costa Report. Like Rebecca's Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Rebecca DeCosta for more information and to find out how to share your Mighty Minute with millions of listeners across the country. Join us at facebook.com forward slash Rebecca DeCosta. Come one, come all to Omega News 23rd Annual Ducky Derby, Saturday, April 27th from 10.30 to 3.30 at Harvey West Park in Santa Cruz. You can adopt a duck at duckyderbysantacruz.org. Bring the kids out for fun carnival games, delicious food, great entertainment, and of course, ducky races with great prizes. 100% of proceeds benefit local Santa Cruz charities and provide scholarships to local kids. Join us rain or shine for the 23rd Annual Ducky Derby, April 27th at Harvey West Park. Sponsored by KSCO Radio and Omega News. Hi, I'm Andy, the produce manager at Ben Lomond Market. This week we are feeding California tender sweet white corn in husk, two for $1. California head lettuce, 69 cents each, and cassia tomatoes, $1.29 a pound. Blackberries, two for $4, and fresh jicama, 39 cents a pound. In organics, we are featuring California asparagus, $4.99 a pound, and green kale, red kale, and lacitano kale, $1.49 a bunch. New items this week, California yellow nectarines and white peaches, and local grown fresh English peas. We have many other specials going on, so come check out our great selection of fresh produce at Ben Lomond Market. It is raucous. It is fun. So get up and go for it. Take the family, take the friends, take the entire neighborhood to the rip-roaring racing fun at Ocean Speedway in Watsonville. Friday night is weekly racing night at Ocean Speedway. We're racing bangers, American stocks, modifieds, ocean late models, sport mods, wingless sprints, adults $15, seniors $14, kids $12, and get the entire family in for only $45. Details at OceanSpeedway.com. Ocean Speedway is located at the Santa Cruz County Fairgrounds, just two miles east of downtown Watsonville on Highway 152. Get up and go for the loud, raucous, rip-roaring racing fun this Friday night at Ocean Speedway. Michael Olson's second law of the food chain. The farther we go from the source of our food, the less control we have over what's in our food. Now that so much of our food comes from thousands of miles away, we should all get together Saturday at 9 a.m. as the Food Chain Radio Show tracks down who is putting what in our food. If you have a comment about the second law of the food chain, tell me. Michael Olson, all about it at MetroFarm.com. Now, see you all on KSEO Saturday at 9 a.m. for some What's Eating What Radio on the Food Chain. What day was that? 
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest is one of my favorite bipartisan reformists, Mr. Russ Feingold. And before the break, we were talking about the fact that uh, democracy has been threatened by money before. This isn't the first time. And we were smart enough to put safeguards in place to prevent this, but we seem to have conveniently forgotten that part of our history. So let's talk about the Citizens United ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court. For listeners who might not understand exactly what that ruling was. Can, can you explain the ruling and, and what it means on a go-forward sure. basis? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, we've had campaign finance laws for over 100 years in this nation. It's not some new thing. And people generally assume that these laws made sense and that they were important to protect our democracy and, and that there could be some limitations without uh, violating the First Amendment. As I indicated before the break, you know, it started in 1907 when, when Teddy Roosevelt said, signed a bill that said corporations can't use their treasuries. Then uh, it came into the 1940s, and some of the people, uh, maybe some more conservative people, said, well, unions exist now. They shouldn't be able to do it either. And so in 1947, in the Taft-Hartley Act, unions were prohibited from using their treasuries. In other words, mandatory union dues can't be used for political campaigns. But as you indicated in the first segment, even though we had those laws in place, there were corrupt things going out on that were revealed by Watergate. People were bringing in literally bags full of money with $100 bills in them from corporations and others. And we realized in the early 1970s we needed some rules. So they created limitations on how much you could actually give to a candidate. You know, $1,000 in election and PACs uh, were created, but PACs were only allowed then, uh, whether corporate or labor, to give $10,000 at the most for a whole campaign. And then we managed to pass, as I indicated, the, a ban on some of these unlimited contributions that were loopholes to the political parties. And we were finally getting somewhere. We were, we were returning to some of the limitations that had worked earlier. And then the Supreme Court disrupted the whole thing by deciding all of a sudden, after 100 years, that corporations are people too. <laughs> that corporations have the same political rights as the rest of us, which to me is is an absurd interpretation of our Constitution. The corporations are the creature of the state. Corporations are created by government. They allow, they're allowed through laws that are passed by the people. Corporations are not natural human beings. And yet the United States Supreme Court in a five to four vote said corporations are, have the same political rights to uh, spend unlimited amounts of money on campaigns. And it, it raises the question, well, why can't they vote then? Why can't a corporation run for office? Uh, in fact, recently there was a guy that was pulled over in the HOV lane by himself, so he shouldn't be in there, right? He, while he puts his hand over to the passenger side and holds up a corporate article of incorporation <laughs> and said, I'm here with my corporation. He tried to get off the speeding ticket or the HOV ticket, which I don't know if he succeeded. But it, almost everybody thinks this is ridiculous, but somehow the Supreme Court said, no, actually corporations have these same rights as everybody else. And I don't think most people think that makes sense at all, and it certainly was not what the founders of this nation intended. No, a absolutely so not. But but what do you say to... And the decision yeah. was wrong, you know? Yeah, well, let me ask you, what do you say to people who come back and say, look, the money doesn't matter, you know? Uh, no matter how much money comes into politics, uh, if it really mattered, Steve Forbes would be president. So what are you worried about? Well, that's a really important point. That's a really important point, because that's been a problem, particularly in the Democrat side, now that we won the election, which I'm glad we did. You know, the issue is, in part, who wins the election, but that's not the most important issue. It's what happens in the process. 
you know, in the Midwest, at least, we say there's no such thing as a free lunch. I also would submit there's no such thing as a free $10 million contribution. In other words, there are secret conversations going on involving huge amounts of money that leads to corruption. So you can say, well, you know, so-and-so became president or so-and-so won for the Senate, but what happened to get the person there? How was the money raised? Aren't corporations and individuals who are wealthy being engaged in conversations that are very questionable? Think about it from the point of view of a corporation that's competing with another company. Let's say it's UPS versus FedEx. If one company doesn't give this kind of money to politicians, what does that mean in terms of theirs keeping up with their competitors? So it's almost like a corrupt, organized crime system rather than a political system. That has nothing to do with who wins. That has to do with corrupt conversations. And, and then what happens after the election? It is, you know, if both sides are co-opted by this kind of money, what are the results? Well, we saw that in the 1990s when both parties, huge votes, approved trade agreements that shipped our jobs overseas. NAFTA, as you mentioned in the introduction. These yeah. things were passed by votes of like 85 to 15. When we uh, did great damage to the freedom of uh, diverse media voices in our country in the Telecommunications Act of 1996, when we lost a lot of our independent radio stations, that bill passed 95 to 5 because it was bought and paid for by soft money on both sides. And yes, perhaps most symbolically and importantly, when the United States government decided that they should repeal the Glass-Steagall Act, when we got rid of the distinctions between investment houses and banks that were there from the Depression, we directly led up to the great economic collapse that we had in 2008. That vote was like 90 to 10. The reason? Both parties, whether your party wins or your party loses, both parties are in the tank, and they are ready to do whatever these corporate interests bid them to do. So the answer is, who wins the election is not as important as having the whole process being bought off, so it doesn't matter who wins the election. That's the bottom line. But talking about the bottom line, look, you know, uh, everybody knows the emperor's got no clothes. I mean, we all know that if you accept a $10 million contribution, guess what? You're beholding. There's just that simple right. word, you're beholding. Now, we may not be able to trace that contribution to an exact mm -hmm. bill that or measure that you, that, but anybody who's got, you know, a, a two-digit IQ could figure that out. So we know that's going on. So let me ask you something. Looking back, now that the Citizens United ruling was passed, looking back at the McCain-Feingold Act, do, do, is there any part of you that says we didn't go far enough? No, because we had the, we had the, we did what we should do at the time because we still had the Tillman Act. You see, the Tillman Act was in place. And so the with Act the Tillman Act, Act you that. felt that those were enough measures. McCain, Feingold, and Tillman, that was enough. They were valuable. No, no, it was not enough to do everything. What it did do was prevent uh, corporate money being directly channeled or direct labor union money being channeled. So at the time, we said this is an important first step. But no, there, need, there needed to be more done. Uh, which we were working on, and there needs to be more done. And that is in the name of public financing of campaigns. It's not enough just to stop corporate contributions. We need to create a system of voluntary public financing. We used to have a good system for that for the presidential elections. We've never had it for congressional um, and Senate elections. But a number of states like Arizona and Maine have successfully created voluntary public financing where candidates agree to limit their spending and return for some reductions in the price of, of TV time or whatever it might be. And that is a very good system. So in answer to your question, no. McCain-Feingold uh, stopped one of the great loopholes, 
but it was uh, one of the measures that needed to be done. We also need to do other things, including getting rid of the Federal Elections Commission, which doesn't enforce the law. You can have great laws like McCain-Feingold or the Tillman Act, and if the law isn't enforced because we have a, a completely dysfunctional agency, that doesn't work as well. So you are correct. There are a number of things that need to be done. That's what we were able to accomplish at the time, and it was working pretty well, and we were getting ready to move on to public financing and other actions when Citizens United upended everything. But, you know, I don't know of a single politician who likes fundraising. I mean, I think the latest statistics are they spend over 50 percent, 50 to 75 percent of their time raising money. And I don't know of a single person. I spent a lot of time in Washington that enjoys that process. I mean, so you would think that you would have this groundswell of support for just public financing. Um, Isn't it odd that you don't have that much support within the Beltway? Yeah, it is odd. I guess people get into this idea that they're in office and that the, the world will end if they if they lose their job. I found out that I was defeated finally after many years, and I found that life's really good, you know, doing other things as well. But, but I but I will say this: you weren't defeated because yeah, you weren't defeated because you raised less money. <laughs> Let Let's be sure that we get that on the table. Now, now we got to take a, a short commercial break. Um, we're going to take our last break, so stay tuned. We'll be right back to talk about that. And the fa- and I want to make it clear once again, uh, you were not defeated because you raised less money, and that's very important uh, for people to know. You're listening to the Costa Report. Tobin, a cookbook author and culinary expert. I'm always looking for creative ideas to take fresh salads to a new level. So I gathered a few friends together for an afternoon of ultimate salad making and salad tasting fun. We started with a variety of dole salad blends, a seasonal fresh fruits and vegetables, an assortment of our favorite toppings and a room full of culinary imagination. The result was an inspiring day of tastes, textures and togetherness. One of my favorites of the day was an Italian-inspired salad that started with the bold taste of dole arugula. We added sweet mandarin oranges, green grapes, and dates, which paired perfectly with the saltiness of the Parmesan cheese and sliced prosciutto to complete this salad masterpiece. Thanks to my new salad circle of friends and a little culinary indulgence, I've been re-inspired to push my salad boundaries. To help you get started sharing your own fresh ideas, sign up for the Dole Salad Circle email at dole.com slash salads. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars. Now I hear that on the last Thursday of every month, the Caraccioli Tasting Room has become the go-to place in Carmel. As a matter of fact, I stopped by last month 
and it looked to me like a private party was going on. So tell us about that. Yeah, we've actually pulled together an Authors and Wine event that's going to reoccur on the last Thursday of every month. We're going to be bringing in a local author and have them signing their books, interacting with their customers, all the while enjoying some of our wines and small bites. And they're the last Thursday of every month, 6 to 8 p.m.? Correct. 6 to 8 p.m., the last Thursday of every month in our tasting room right on Dolores between Ocean and 7th and Carmel. It's one of my favorite places to go. Thank you for being with us again, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. Props Restaurant and Lounge is open now at the Watsonville Airport. That's right, there's a brand new watering hole ready to serve you seven days a week for lunch and dinner located right at the Watsonville Airport. Easy to reach and what a wonderful destination it is. Prime rib special every Wednesday night. What a bargain at only $14. Steak, seafood, pasta dishes, a terrific burger, all kinds of wonderful things, plus great appetizers, specialty burgers. There's even a kid's menu and small plates after 5 p.m. Happy hour Monday through Friday, 3 to 6. So visit Props at the airport. You just take the airport boulevard exit off of Highway 1. When you get to Aviation Way, hang a left and you'll find 100 Aviation Way. It's the airport building and in it is Props Restaurant. Go eat Drink and enjoy. Props Restaurant and Lounge is open now at the Watsonville Airport. Tell them Charlie sent you. Hi, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy. And in these times of stressed economy, in these times of stressed health care, I want to talk to you about a business opportunity. Longevity is expanding very rapidly. We're now publicly traded. We're acquiring new companies almost every year. And it's very exciting. In the last 10 years, we've acquired 22 companies and we're now publicly traded. And when you get into the Longevity system and you become a student of our business, when you raise yourself through the ranks, we give you stock options. We give you car bonuses. That's right. You get stock options and car bonuses. How good is that? We reward you with cruises. We reward you with all kinds of stuff. And in addition, we will pay you an obscene amount of money. That's right. You can make an obscene amount of money when you work with the Longevity system. So I urge you to contact your Longevity associate and say, okay, tell me about this business thing that Dr. Wallach was talking about. And you'll be glad you did. Doc is right on. Nothing beats earning your income from your own business. With Longevity, it's easy. Go to kscoteam.com, join for a low one-time fee of $10, and let us show you the way. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former Senator Russ Feingold. And before the break, uh, we were talking about the fact that no politician likes to spend half their time fundraising or to feel like they're beholding to some large campaign contributor. Uh, most of the folks I know in Washington, they'd be happy to have all that nonsense. And so, uh, Mr. Feingold, what are they afraid of? What's what's stopping this groundswell of support for public financing? Well, they're afraid of losing. They're afraid of losing their election. And they get intimidated and pressured by the people in their caucuses to raise money, not only for themselves, but for others. In fact, there's another element. They can lose some of their opportunities for key committee assignments. If you want to be a big shot in the Finance Committee in the Senate, it's often understood you need to raise a lot of money. So it's both you know, winning your own election and then being in a position to get certain committee assignments. So that's part of it. But here's the interesting thing. I, I try to be So it doesn't just that. buy you your position. It buys you uh, moving up in the party. That's right. That's right. A lot of those people that become big shots in leadership get there because they agree, for example, to run the Democratic Senate Campaign Committee. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a very another corrupting aspect of the system. But here's here's an upbeat thing that that was going on before uh, Citizens United, because the internet had developed in a way that people could raise a lot of small contributions without making any phone calls, without any quid pro quo. The system was changing in a very positive way. Yes. Said, Obama did a lot of that in 2008. So all of a sudden, I, I got to tell you, my last election, I felt like I had to put less time in calling on the phone because we had really good grassroots lists of people either through direct mail or through uh, the Internet who could give small contributions. We had college students giving us $10, $15, $20. We had people in their 90s who would, you'd never sort of see at a fundraiser or something contributing. This was a positive development. This was a democratic development that I think was leading to a trend where politicians wouldn't have to spend so much time on the phone. It was taking them away from this. And I think that's one of the most important things about this decision is it puts them back in a position where behind the scenes they have to try to arrange for their agents to talk to people about huge, corrupt, unlimited, undisclosed contributions. So you are absolutely right. People don't like to do this. It's it's an awful experience. Yeah. And frankly, it doesn't have to be like this. So we can overturn this decision. People who really have some popularity and people actually like, they're going to be able to raise money in a non-corrupting way by getting the proper lists of people and using the Internet and direct mail. Now, one of the things I said earlier on in this program is that uh, you are known for leading by example. That's obviously something that you value. You don't ask people to do anything that you yourself don't do first. And you were one of the first to when uh, to set a limit on your own fundraising. Uh, you thought that your cap when you were running for Senate in uh, Wisconsin should be about $1 per citizen, about $3.8 million. Uh, did that catch on? Did, did was there anybody else that looked at that and said, yeah, about a dollar person's about right. Let's let me set my own limit. Well, the reason we did that in 1998 was that McCain and I had an earlier proposal that included that provision that said, if you voluntarily limit your spending in certain ways, less than 10% from political action committees, $1 per constituent and so on, that that, that would be a, a scenario where a person should be able to get public financing. Mm-hmm. I decided to use that election as a way to illustrate, and I just did it in that election, a way to illustrate that you could still win with those sort of limitations. Of course, it was very difficult because I wasn't getting any public financing. And yeah. my opponent outspent me three or four to one because he took soft money. So we barely survived. A lot of people were mad at me for, for doing it, but I was trying to make that point. I always tried to make sure that a majority of my campaign contributions came from Wisconsin, and I always took less than 10% of my contributions from political action committees. Not that they're inherently corrupting, but I know that people had some concerns about PACs, and so I thought, let's limit that as well. So uh, what I tried to do was not just win my elections, but use them as a way to sort of illustrate points about public policy. Other elections had to do with Things like civil liberties and, and the war in Iraq, where I tried to point out that voting against the Patriot Act and the war in Iraq in 2004 was a, a proper way to disagree, even after 9-11. So to me, elections shouldn't just be about who wins and who loses. They should also be about these principles. And so I always enjoyed having that being part of the process. And, and I'm glad you brought that up, because one of the issues that I always have is is we can go and we can make tighter laws and we can overturn Citizens United. Uh, and, and I know that your organization is working on that. Uh, but as a leader, 
do we really need to regulate you through laws? I mean, doesn't a real leader look at their own behavior and can't they self-regulate? Because it's it's a di- it's a different kind of leader that needs the law to tell them what is right and right. wrong, as opposed to regulating themselves and saying, "I don't care if it's okay." According to Citizens United, it's not right. It's not good for the country. It's not good for the voters. It's not good for anybody. So I don't care that the law says that. I am not. I'm going to set a limit on my own behavior and conduct myself appropriately. Why can't that happen? Why does it have to be regulated. Well, we desperately need people to do that now. We need people to run for the Senate and the House who say, I'm not going to do that. And then they need to win. Because if they win and show they can win without it, that would be a wonderful statement. But you uh, did. You away. did. You proved that point. I, I know, but I'm just saying I'm not in office now. So other people <laughs> who are running now need to add that voice. But we do need rules of this kind. We do need laws. But yes, I think we can get those laws back by people being principled in this way. I'll tell you an example of somebody who's actually being very principled at this point. On the Republican side, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska has decided to join with Ron Wyden of Oregon to demand disclosure of campaign contributions. In other words, she's going against her leadership uh, in the Senate and saying, you know what, these contributions ought to be revealed. So that's an example of a person who's going against the grain, who's saying, look, we can do this. And it's that kind of bipartisanship that works. That's how the McCain-Feingold bill became law. One of the most progressive members of the Senate, one of the most conservative members of the Senate said, we don't care about these other issues we disagree on right now. We will stick together on this. So people can make these principles and points in their campaigns. You know, Elizabeth Warren and Scott Brown did this in Massachusetts fairly successfully. They voluntarily said... If this, if these outside groups come in, we're going to penalize our own campaign. So there are some isolated examples. Maria Cantwell of Washington, a great United States senator, way back in year 2000, she also refused to take soft money. So there are people that have done this. And, and as you and I can both agree, those people are systematically punished. <laughs> I mean, there's well, just no question about it. Some of them are still around. You know, Maria Cantwell's still there and thriving, and I'm very proud of her. Uh, as I am, I, I just, you know, I, I just have this thing where I don't think that your moral compass uh, gets determined by external laws and regulations. You know, well, I think that's true. Nobody could get you to that. take a major contribution no. from a major I, donor, even if it was legal. I, <laughs> I do agree with you that in the end, that's what leadership is about. But I still think since not everybody's willing to do that sort of thing, we do need laws. Yeah, well, we do need laws, and unfortunately, we need laws because we don't have the kind of leadership that I think that we really should have in Washington, D.C. So just before I let you go, because we're almost out of time here, uh, tell us a little bit about this organization uh, that you have that's working very hard to reverse the Citizens United uh, ruling. Progressives United is an organization that I founded working with a number of people that I've worked with over the years on this issue that's essentially saying, look, we need to make sure the American people understand that Citizens United has, has upended our democracy in a way that's unprecedented. And so we are a 501c4, which means we could take unlimited contributions and not disclose them, but that's not what we do. Mm-hmm. We limit how much we take and we disclose every dime because we're trying to point out that you can have a successful and effective organization doing that. So we're trying to make it clear to people through speeches and efforts and the emails we do what happened in that decision. And do you have a website that people can go to to get more information and make contributions? Progressivesunited.org. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, we now are several hundred thousand strong of people that are uh, involved in this effort. We are able to generate a lot of emails uh, or communications to Washington on critical issues very quickly. We go to states like California and New York and Rhode Island to help them promote the laws that they are trying to pass. And so we try to help uh, others who are trying to accomplish these things at the federal and state level. And um, it's it's a very important issue that, as you've suggested from the beginning of this show, both parties have to be held accountable, and that's what we're trying to do. Absolutely. Well, we are out of time uh, for today, but before we say goodbye, let me thank you on behalf of all Americans for taking on the difficult task of election reform. Thank you so much, Mr. Feingold. What a wonderful opportunity to be on your show. Thanks so much. My guest next week was the lead defense attorney for Timothy McVeigh in the Oklahoma City bombing case. Stephen Jones will be here to talk about what we can expect in the trial of the Boston Marathon bomber. What possible case can a defense team pull together in what appears to be an open and shut case? He's going to tell us. So don't miss attorney Stephen Jones next week right here on your favorite weekly news magazine. Now stay tuned for the second hour of the Costa Report when we take your calls and find out what's on your mind. Now, here's something to think about. If we're having the same problems in the United States that every other country is struggling with, then are these problems really domestic issues? At what point do we wake up and say, hey, if it's happening to everyone, it means it's happening to our species. That's why I'm asking you to read the Watchman's Rattle, because when you do, you'll see that the very idea that there are domestic and international threats is a myth. All of the problems we face today, problems like unemployment, debt, climate change, terrorism, nuclear proliferation, even the spread of pandemic viruses involve other nations. So please take a moment to pick up the Watchman's Rattle. It's a perspective you'll not find anywhere else, and it offers us solutions you won't find anywhere else. Get the Watchman's Rattle. Do it now. You'll be glad you did. For the last 60 years, Coast Paper and Supply has been serving locals and businesses for all their cleaning and paper supply needs. With an 1,800-square-foot showroom and nearly 5,000 products, you'll find everything you're looking for in the way of janitorial supplies, retail and industrial packaging, and disposable food service products for business or home. Not to mention their huge selection of boxes and shipping supplies. Their family-owned and operated business is located at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz. Call 831-423-3350 or visit Coast Paper Supply. Inc.com, a proud member of Think Local First. This Sunday on Eat, Drink, Explore Radio, how safe are the meats you eat? We'll speak with those behind a new food poisoning report ranking your favorite cuts. Also, we'll have a certified trainer and nutrition coach taking your diet and exercise questions. Don't miss this chance for free expert advice. Get the latest food, beverage, and travel news Sunday mornings 8 to 10 live right here on KSEO AM 1080. Eat, Drink, Explore Radio, your lifestyle information source. From San Jose to Salinas, Red Hot News Talk, AM 1080, KSCO, Santa Cruz. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 